toothbrushes in our house. And, and I'm afraid that, that when you hear me say that, you may think that I mean we have like a few toothbrushes in our house. I kind of feel like Ron Swanson when he's ordering bacon. I think what you heard me say is I want a lot of bacon. What I meant to say is I want all the bacon that you have. That's what I mean. When, when I say that we have a lot of toothbrushes in our house, I mean we have a lot of toothbrushes in our house. I had the girls go through our house this last week to count them up because that's what you do when you don't travel for fall break. Uh, you make your kids go and count up toothbrushes, evidently. And so they went around the house, and in all, we have 24 toothbrushes in, in our house. There, there are four people that live in our house. We have 24 toothbrushes. We don't, we don't use all of them. They just kind of collected over the years from, from dentist appointments and we've hung on to them. You know, we have a, a drawer uh, in, in one of our bathrooms. We just kind of tuck them away in there in case we ever have, you know, visitors who, who forgot a toothbrush and need one. We are ready. We are able to open it up and say, have your pick. Whatever color you want, whatever, you know, stiffness you want, it's yours. Uh, we're prepared if there's ever like a small army that comes by in need of dental hygiene items. We have got them covered, and most of them, they sit unused, uh, but then there are a couple that we have, like, in our cleaning supplies, and so, you know, we get them out, and whenever we're, like, kind of doing a deep clean in between some grout or whenever, you know, we've got one that we use around the sink if we need to clean it. Um, I have a toothbrush in my garage, uh, so whenever I go to clean my bike, you know, I dip it in some degreaser and gets in between the cogs on my cassette and my derailleur, and so I can get, you know, in those nice, tight, tight spaces to, to get them clean. But then there's my toothbrush, and it's the one that I use every day to, to clean my teeth. I share a lot of things in my house, but not my toothbrush. That is mine. It is set apart for me, and it is not used by anyone else for anything else. And I take this very, very seriously. In fact, uh, several years ago, I, was, I, I went to Liberia with a, with a friend, and we served at an orphanage for a couple of weeks. And I mean, we were deep in Liberia, in the middle of nowhere at this orphanage. And so whatever we brought is what we had for the, the week. Well, a couple of months after we returned from our trip, my, my buddy said, hey, Sean, now might be a good time to tell you that uh, I used your toothbrush while we were in Liberia because I forgot mine. I was like, oh, no, you did not use my toothbrush. <laughs> like, I tried to get the, it off my mouth. I went home and threw that toothbrush away. I, I, think that it, I don't even think it was the same one I took with me to Liberia, but I was not taking any chances whatsoever because it's mine. And, and I'm sure that you probably have a few things like that. Maybe that's how you feel about your toothbrush. You should. Uh, I imagine that, that maybe you feel that way. Some of us feel that way about our pillow. Our pillow is our pillow. It just like fits us perfectly, contours to our neck just right. If someone tries to take our pillow, we will fight them for it. It is our pillow. Uh, maybe you have a blanket that you like to snuggle up with and everyone knows that is your blanket. So whenever you are in the room, that one's yours. No one else touches it. Maybe it's that chair that just you sit in and it fits you just right. And like you're already dreaming of spending the afternoon in it right now, watching football and maybe even falling asleep. Don't, don't do that yet. Uh, in our text today, I think that's kind of the way that God addresses and refers and thinks about the, the nation of, of Israel. God says something similar about Israel. He sets them apart from everyone else to be their God and for them to be his people. God 
looks at them, he, he gathers them up and he says, I am yours and you are mine. He sets them apart. He calls them out to be distinct from the world around them. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to uh, Leviticus 11.45. Leviticus 11.45. Leviticus is a very interesting book. Uh, we're just going to be looking at our core verse for today, Leviticus 11.45. We're starting a new series today called uh, Set Apart. And over the next few weeks in our worship gatherings and through uh, Core 52, we are going to be looking at some of the key people in the Old Testament that God sets apart for his plans and for his purposes. And as we read and as we study here in our worship gatherings and you discuss maybe with your, your life group, we're going, to, we're going to discover some of the qualities and the characteristics that God looks for in the people that he chooses to, to use and what that means for us today. And we're starting today not by looking at a specific person, but by looking at a people. In our core verse for this week, God addresses the nation of Israel and he sets them apart by his love. Like they didn't do anything to earn it. They didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, a lot of times as you read, they do the exact opposite. But God sets them apart by his love and for his purposes. Let's look at our core verse for this week. Leviticus 11, verse 45. We'll also have the words up on the screen. It says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. Let's read that again. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. Now, there's so much in this verse that we could kind of break down, but I imagine, if you're like me, the part that sticks out to you the most is that last line in the verse, right? Be holy, because I am holy. That sounds so daunting, doesn't it? Depending on your personal history, depending on your past, depending on your, maybe your religious upbringing, that word holy might even carry a ton of baggage with it. It may have like just some really negative connotations to it. Holiness may seem like this standard that's impossible. Like you may hear God say, be holy because I'm holy and look at that and say, there is no way. Like God, you're just setting me up for, for failure here. But I think that God means for this statement to be incredibly liberating and freeing, not overly burdensome and heavy. So what does it mean to be holy? Well, let's start by what it means for God to be holy. The Hebrew word here is kadosh, and it means to separate or to set apart. And so by that definition, separate, set apart, then then my toothbrush is holy. It's set apart. The, even the toothbrush that is, is, that is greasy and grimy in my garage, it is set apart for a certain purpose. And in that way, it's holy. It's been set apart for that purpose. And so for God, what it means for him to be holy or set apart means that he is separate and he is totally other. He is perfect in all that he does and his intentions are good and they are pure. Exodus 15, 11 says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. God is holy. He is completely other. He is separate and he is set apart and distinct from anything 
in everything we have ever known or experienced. And this holy, distinct God tells us to be holy too. And when we think about being holy, I think what comes to mind for most of us is this just laundry list of rules and expectations, do's and don'ts. We think of being holy and we think about, well, if I just do the right things or I don't do the, the wrong things, if I, if I avoid some things but do other things, then I will be holy. And there's, and there's definitely an aspect of our holiness that flows out of our actions. But listen, it's secondary. It's secondary and here's why. If you think that it is up to you to be holy, it's all on your shoulders, then you will be consumed by one of two things. You will either be consumed by pride or by shame. If you think that holiness is is totally up to you, you run the temptation of being consumed by pride, thinking that somehow you have earned God's love, that you deserve it because of the things that you've done or the things that you haven't done. You walk around consumed by how good you are, an extension, how bad others are. And you'll develop this prideful, judgmental, holier-than-thou Attitude. You'll demand others do what you do, dress how you dress. You'll believe the only way to follow God and worship him is by your rules. Listen, if you've ever been turned off by faith because of someone like that, you're in good company. Jesus was too. On the other hand, if you think that it's up to you to be holy, then you might be consumed by your own guilt in your own shame, you, you, you think about your past, you think about where you've been and what you've done. Maybe you even think about what's been done to you and you're just consumed thinking there is no way that I can be holy after all of that. You'll walk around viewing yourself as damaged goods and thinking that that's how God sees you as well, that you are someone not worthy of love and that you can never be good enough. And so you just throw up your hands and you say, why bother? And if we read God say, be holy because I am holy, and we think that, man, that's all up to us, then we're naturally going to gravitate either towards pride or towards shame. Either walking around thinking, oh yeah, I got that. I'm good. God loves me because of how awesome I am. (laughs) Or you're walking around feeling like there's no way you can ever live up to that. And so there's no way that God could ever love you. But when the Bible talks about holiness... It's not just this list of rules and expectations and right actions. It is so much more than that. Holiness is setting something apart for a specific purpose. And so the Sabbath is holy because it is set apart as a day to rest and to remember and to reflect on the goodness of God and to enjoy everything that he has given us. Items in the temple that we read about in throughout a lot of Leviticus were holy because they were set apart for worship. People are holy because God sets them apart for his plans and his purposes. That's the message that God is giving his people in Leviticus eleven forty five. He says, I have brought you up out of Egypt. I have separated you and set you apart for your good and for my glory. You are no longer slaves. You are my 
dearly loved children. And in this context, holiness is such a beautiful thing because it is born out of a relationship with the Father, not not this list of rules, not this list of obligations. What made Israel holy was not how good they were or that they deserved God's love, it's that God set them apart for him. And the good news for us today is that he continues to do this. God sets us apart by his love and for his purposes. He makes us holy by setting us apart from the world around us to be distinct in the way that we live, in the way that we follow Jesus. And there's no pride or shame or guilt in that. I mean, it is all God's doing. And so who are we to stand above and look down on anyone else? And who are we to look up going, there's no way that I can be loved? God called us out, set us apart, and then we desire out of that new identity to live a life that is holy, that honors him. Again, it's not that we've earned it or that we deserve it, but that that God has given us this new identity through Jesus. And so let's break this down for a little bit. First, God sets us apart by his love. And so that's kind of the first part of this equation. God sets us apart by his love. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that that, that he lived a perfect, holy, blameless life, shed his precious and perfect blood on the cross for us, was raised back to life by the power of God. When you place your faith in that, you are immediately viewed as perfect, blameless, and holy in the sight of God. It's why the New Testament writers unashamedly and unapologetically refer to followers of Jesus as saints. And, and I hear that and I'm like, well, I, I ain't no saint. <laughs> Maybe you feel that way too. And if it were up to us, then that's the appropriate response, but it's not. We've been justified, Paul says in Romans 5, 1. We've been justified through faith in what Jesus did for us. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Faith. Not, not because of what you've done or you haven't done, but through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You see, holiness isn't about what you look like. It's about who you look like. When you clothe yourself with Christ, the heavenly father sees his son when he looks at you. You are his beloved child, holy, perfect, and blameless in his sight. By God's grace, you are given what you need to be in right relationship with the father. You are clothed with holiness and set apart for him. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. And after that, pursuing holiness in your life is just about living out who God says that you already are. It's about living in a way that honors God and pleases him because, because you are holy, perfect, and blameless. You may have noticed uh, on the the screens whenever someone gets up to speak or lead worship, uh, little name tags pop up underneath them. And it'll have their name and their title uh, the position, uh, and, then, and then it'll have like their favorite verse on there oftentimes. And about 10 years ago, my favorite verse became Hebrews 10, 14, when a friend of mine, 
um, shared it with me over biscuits and gravy one morning, which, to be fair, is kind of the way to my heart um, anyway, biscuits and gravy. And so uh, Hebrews 10, 14, it, it says this, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, Jesus, he, God, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I was struggling. I was struggling at this time with how God could love someone like me, and I had this faulty view of grace that, that, I, that I just kind of held on to that slipped out in a sermon one morning. And afterwards, my, my friend came up to me and, uh, and he said, hey, let's, um, let, let's talk. You see, I lived with this feeling that God's love for me fluctuated based on how good I was or not good I was. That if I did the right things and I avoided the wrong things, then God would love me. But if not, then good luck. And I wouldn't have said that that was my theology. Like I, I, I wouldn't have been able to sit down and, and point to book, chapter, verse of where the Bible teaches that because honestly, that's not what the Bible teaches. And in fact, that's my, my friend that morning when he came up to me after my sermon, he said, he said that's an interesting concept that you have. Where, do you, where did you find that in the Bible? Because, because if, if you tell me where it is, then I'll believe it too. <laughs> that's not in there. And so I wouldn't have said that that was my theology, but it was my functional theology. It was how, it was kind of the framework through which I viewed myself. But what Hebrews 10, 14, and my friend taught me that day was that God has already made me perfect, which sounds so weird even still today to say. God has made me perfect, and it has nothing to do with what I did. It has everything to do with what Jesus did for me and my faith in that. And so, listen, when God sees me, I don't mean to brag, but he sees a 10. <laughs> God sees a 10. And I look in the mirror, and I, I don't see it. But man, I'm glad that he does. Because when God looks at me, he doesn't see me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees Jesus. He sees what Jesus did for me. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and my faith in that has made me perfect forever, even while I am being made holy, even while my actions are not yet perfect. And so that means that there are days, you know, God sees me every day as that 10, perfect forever, and there are days where my actions are like a six or a seven, and I'm feeling really good. God still looks at me and is like, Sean, you're a 10. And there are days and moments where my actions are more two or three, but, but that doesn't lower this. Just as doing this doesn't raise this. This doesn't move. Because that's been sealed. That's been done by one sacrifice. God made perfect forever, even while I am being made holy, even while you are being made holy. And there is nothing that I could do to earn it or deserve it. And so there's no room for pride or for shame. And the same is true for you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a 10. Whether you see it or not, God sees it on you because of Jesus. 
Once we have this new identity and we've been set apart by his love, then God sets us apart for his purposes too. See, God chose Israel to be his people for a purpose and he set them apart to be a blessing to the world around them, to know God and to make him known. And now he's done that for us too, the, the church, the, the ecclesia, that, that, that word that has been translated now over the years into church. And when we hear it, we just think of the building, but it's the church, it's the people, it's the called out ones. And we've been set apart to be a blessing to those around us, to help others know, love, and follow Jesus with us. That's what we have been called out for. You know, the last 18 months have disrupted so many things. You probably feel it in your life, uh, maybe even in, in your career, in your job, in your social circles. It's just kind of disrupted everything. Our culture is changing, which, which now has left churches a- across the world looking to how, how do we now adapt to this ever-changing world? Not, not how do we change the the truth of the gospel, that, that'll never change. But how do we adapt how we relate that truth to our culture and to the society around us? And all this disruption, it can be difficult, but it also brings some incredible opportunities to serve and to reach people for Jesus, opportunities that, that we may not have had otherwise. And we believe that God has gifted and shaped his church for the needs of the moment and that he has called us to be his hands and his feet and to bring his kingdom closer to this earth. He desires to use his church and we want to be ready for what's next. And so today, I'm inviting the entire Sherwood Oaks family across all of our campuses, those online as well, to join us for 21 days of prayer, seeking God's vision for his church during this unique time and that we would surrender our wills to his. We wanna use this time to set ourselves apart for his plans and his purposes and as a people, as the called out ones to collectively say, God, show us your vision for how we can engage this changing culture during this weird time to make Jesus known and to say, God, whatever is next, we are ready to move with our palms up saying, God, here we are, use us. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. If you'd like to join us for these 21 days of prayer beginning tomorrow, October 11th. Number one, I invite you and ask you to to sign up for a daily text prompt that's going to include a a, a scripture and a, a kind of a focus question and then the same prayer every single day. God, help us to surrender our wills to yours and, and uh, help show us your vision for Sherwood Oaks and help us surrender our wills to yours. And, and you can get this, this text prompt by texting prayer21, all one word, all one word, and feel free to go ahead and pull out your phones and, and you can do that now. Prayer21, all one word, to 812-324-8644. You can also pick up a printed copy of the, the prayer guide um, out in the lobby. We've got, we've got a bunch of these if you would like a, a printed copy of it as well. 
Number two, we invite you to consider, consider fasting from something for three days. And it doesn't have to be food, it can be social media. <laughs> it can be from your phone, it can be from TV, maybe the radio. And just set that time aside to seek the Lord and cry out to him, desiring his presence to lead and guide his church more than anything else, to lead and guide you more than anything else. And then number three, we invite you to follow along on our social channels. We'll have daily updates going out, scriptures, questions, just as we seek the Lord together. And we're doing this because as a church, we want to be set apart by God's love and for his purposes. And we desperately want others to know love and follow Jesus with us. We want to be Christ-led influencers who go out into our homes, our communities, our jobs, and the world to point people to Jesus and the life and salvation that only he can give. And so we hope that you'll join us for these next 21 days as we seek God's vision for his church and we prepare ourselves collectively as his people for what is next. God is holy and he has called us to be holy, to be set apart by his love and for his purposes and to live out in this way of just who we already are and who he has already said that we are. And all of this is possible because of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect holy life that we couldn't and took the punishment that our sins deserved. And now by grace, when we put our faith in his life, death and resurrection, he gives us new life and he gives us a fresh start. Our past is forgiven and our future is secure and we are made holy in a moment. And then we go out and we live for him. If you're ready to take that next step, to put your faith in Jesus, maybe even to be baptized in him, we'd love to talk to you about that and help you take that step today, even before you leave. I'm gonna invite you now to stand. And I'm going to close off in a word of prayer. And we'll sing one more song. If you have a decision to make, if you'd like to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to find holiness in him, we invite you to come at the end of the service. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you that in Jesus, we have been made holy, not because of what we have done, but because of what he did for us. And Lord, I pray that we will be set apart in all that we do. Your love and for your purposes so that more people may come to know you, may come to follow you, may come to love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.